am so glad that just my friends came today. So, haha. -ha. <laughs> anyway, so Kevin is traveling. He will be back next week. Um, they have had a wonderful time. Uh, he's been in the north of Argentina. Argentina? Argentina. Got to get my tongue like Argentina. 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 Yeah. It's like a little at the top. It's just got to get stuck like peanut butter. Got to get stuck right there, yeah. So he's been traveling with uh, Alejandro that was here. Uh, they saw uh, hundreds of people last night come to Christ. They're working on a crusade in uh, two different ones in uh, Argentina, one in Salta, which is in the north. Uh, I think it's actually going to be held in a town called Juju, which has a big stadium, so they were looking at that and then rallying the pastors, so they met with maybe 250 pastors. Uh, hui Hui, that's right, Hui Hui, that's a great name, Hui Hui, I love that. I love Spanish, yeah. but then again, I love language too. I love Italian, I love French, I like all of them. So that's why we're a multicultural church, because I love flavor and I love the diversity of God's house. and. I enjoy it so much. So, but anyway, so that's what they are working on. Um, they saw, I think, eight deaf people healed, which that's really powerful. Uh, they saw a lot of healing, uh, a lot of signs and wonders, and it was just a wonderful time. Uh, Kevin said it, it's like a working vacation because it just pumps him up when he's gone, and you're just getting in the flow, and you're just kind of like, you know, shucking and a jiving, you know, you gotta kinda go here and then you gotta go here and then you're meeting with these pastors and then they're going there. So it's just a really lovely time with um, meeting with other pastors and the humility of the pastors and how excited they get. They're so excited to reach their city. So moving to me how excited these pastors get. In many of these areas, um, there's poverty and uh, uh, a lot of, of um, social needs. Uh, but the churches are really vibrant. Many of them are very, very vibrant and very hungry, and the people serve and are just very generous with themselves. I've been to Brazil and a couple other places. We traveled this year a couple places, and um, what I've noticed when I'm in other countries, how, what I notice very often is how hungry and, and um, yielded the people are. Just very hungry hearts in Colombia to serve the house of God and to sacrifice for the house of God and to give and they do all these special things when you're in town so it's just such a pleasant and such a wonderful experience such honor as well so they've had a really really nice time Kevin gave the book away to all the pastors they were super psyched he got a standing ovation I was so proud of him I was like wow that's my babe that's awesome look at that and then they had the 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 um the uh the crusade that they had, but there, that was in some kind of a small stadium, small something, hall, some something hall, and, um, and that was a nice size, but now they're going to do a stadium with like this big, I think it's a soccer stadium, so it's so exciting, right, wow, to see, you know, if you can travel with us, we're going to be traveling this summer, there's a couple trips planned, uh, June and October, um, October, we will go back to Argentina and Uruguay, uh, and then in June, we'll be in Europe. Um, and so you'll have the opportunity. It's so worth it to come to things like this. God uses you in such a powerful way uh, to see God heal and to manifest miracles and signs and wonders through you. There's nothing like it. It's so wonderful. And when we were all traveling together, uh, I think our team had 10 or 9 or 10. And of the nine or uh, the nine or ten, everyone saw healings, and 
everyone saw miracles, and it was the most uh, encouraging pump up that you could ever have in your faith to see God work through you in such a powerful way. And we saw hundreds healed in Argentina and Uruguay. We are one small church that I think everybody that uh, were asking for prayer was healed. So it was such a powerful time. It's so, and so it's different when it's you. You know, it's so different when God's using you. And so you need that experience. You need to experience uh, his power. You need to experience the Holy Spirit moving you through you and using you with the, in those kinds of ways. You turn into the disciples. You feel like you're an ax all over again. You know, if you could be there, like I always think of myself in these Bible stories, and you know, I always think of myself, that's me, and what would I do? And oh, that's me. You know, I'm I'm that person, and I think even if it's a guy, I think I, I think I'm them too. So I'm always like, oh, I'm Samson. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, here's my hair. You know, there's a time when I was walking around with my hair, like even kind of, I tried to be a little bit lion hair. And someone at church said to me, Sherry, what do you got going on with your hair? And I'm like, oh, it's my lion hair. <laughs> and she's like, I can see. I'm like, you don't like it, but I was trying to, you know, lion hair. So I was even spraying it a little bit to keep myself like a lion mane. <laughs> so some declarative, a prophetic declarative. <laughs> so funny. Anyway, so a wonderful thing. You should travel with us. Yes, there's cost, but it's worth it uh, to watch even uh, thousands get saved in a night like that. I mean, I, I came to Christ through Billy Graham's ministry when I was 13 probably even younger because I was raised in the church, but, um, but I would go up front every time there's an opportunity when you're a kid, you're like, I'm going to get saved. That's me. Jesus is calling me again. <laughs> you know? So I would go up and uh, I was 13, but that experience and to be in that room and to see God move like that, there's just nothing like it. And so when you can, it's like uh, how the disciples say, uh, we've touched with our hands We've seen and we've touched it with our hands, what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've touched with our own hands. So when you witness like deaf ears, I saw that in Czech Republic, like six people, deaf ears, hearing aids coming out, it's just crazy. And you see legs straighten and things like this, it's just the most magnificent wonder. It's, it's just wonderful. You never forget it. So you gotta try to do something like that. So, all right, so um, for those of you that didn't know that I was speaking today, welcome. <laughs> uh, that's kind of funny, but yes, it is me again. So um, la a couple weeks ago, I was speaking six weeks maybe, and uh, um, I was talking about the time right before uh, Jesus' uh, Holy Week, um, right before you know he went and was sacrificed and Passover and all that. Right before there was a season of six weeks to two months, and Jesus was um, he had just healed Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus was, um, caused the Pharisees to really hate uh, Jesus, and they began to look for him in public. So he was no longer able to be in public because he feared for his life. So the disciples couldn't even protect him anymore. It was really bad. So he drew away to an area called Ephraim. And in that land of Ephraim, he took some time because he knew his time was now and it was coming. It was at hand. And so he took this time away with his disciples, his close ones, his treasured ones, to deposit in them some really uh, powerful nuggets, um, treasures in them of what, it, what, what he wanted to stress and what he wanted to put heavy importance on with them in their lives. So he had this time away, and so you can go to the next slide, Alex. So I just want to review it literally quick. So if you have the time, you know, watch first service, second service, more than half, I'm in the dark. <laughs> so it's like an audio. <laughs> so 
but anyway, um, the first service, you can get it. And uh, it was really good because it's showing everything. Uh, scholars say that this, this was a big nugget, like all of these powerful nuggets of truth were deposited in, uh, in the disciples at that time because Jesus is literally encapsulating everything he wants to leave with them as treasures to remember. So he's going through, he goes through the heart, he points out to them the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. He deals with them about that because they're trying to catch him in the law. So he deals with them about the religious, the religious ones and their, their love for the law. And, uh, and they're missing, they miss the law. They're talking about, in that part, they're talking about how, um, uh, they're talking about who's divorced and, and the divorcing of his wife. And Jesus says to them, uh, as it was in the beginning, so he's bringing them back to Genesis, which is the Eden before the fall, where they were one, they were Ahad, the original, like that they were to be one. They weren't to be under the curse and the striving. So Jesus is pointing them to uh, Genesis, and they don't get it. They're just arguing with them. So he's showing some things. I also think there's a reason why he's putting women in that, because he deposits this little of women right in there, and that's in that ending conversation. And women traveled with Jesus. They funded him. Um, they traveled. They ministered. Uh, they were apostles after Jesus. They were prophetesses. They were uh, teachers. Um, they were leading in all kinds of capacity, evangelists. Uh, they, were, they went outside of um, Israel into areas that, uh, I can't remember the area, but they were in areas uh, in order to be like Proverbs 31 women because in Israel they couldn't keep a company. They couldn't keep a business. But outside they would do it. So Jesus would go to them, and they were big funders of the gospel. And something else here for women, because there's some women here, you'll like this, is that I, there was a time that um, a while back ago there was a gentleman, he oversees a large global uh, network called Glocal, and he was speaking at a marriage conference for pastors and their uh, wives. At the time, I was still uh, just the pastor's wife, but now I'm the pastor, so he was doing this mini conference to encourage planters and stuff, and he went on this subject of what he was doing with the Glocal. It wasn't even on marriage. It was so bizarre. It must have been divine, and he started talking about just what God was doing in Africa, and this is like 15 years ago. And he said, this is so, uh, so powerful. I asked him, he said how the gospel uh, was rushing over Africa and that it was just moving like wildfire and the sacrifices of the people and all this stuff. And I asked him, so what would you attribute the moving of the gospel to in such a rush like that? What, what, what would you say that's caused that revival in that continent and the moving over those countries? And he said, I thought he was going to say, oh, it's this network of churches, and it's our bright ideas, and America's really come in there, and America's giving them money, and America's supporting them, and, you know, I thought he was going to come up with all these little strategies, you know, that I would think, oh, wow, that's a great idea, that's a great idea, and he told me, and I said, what would you say the number one reason is, and he said, the number one reason that the gospel is moving across Africa is generous, entrepreneur, sacrificial women funding the gospel. Wow, right? So women traveled with Jesus all the time. Um, people gave a lot of trouble about that, but uh, the court of the women was never supposed to be in the uh, tabernacle or the temple. In the original, there was no court of women. So when they got sequestered to the side, that was never the original intention. So they're actually been part of the original ministries going on in the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
that's if you heard jail she was a woman of the tents right woman of the tents how do you think she knew how to handle that that stake because she was a woman of the tents she was actually part of a ministry team that was called the women of the tents so they were the last that would be there so if the raiders would come the women would be there and they would fight too you know how they do even now in israel they fight women fight just like men i think it's so great did you know that women are better sharpshooters than men no statistically because they're detailed is that curious it's just curious how women are more detailed and more finite with things and they're better sharpshooters so it's interesting we're very focused aren't we we can focus on you know uh, <laughs> uh wisdom and foolishness are personified in the feminine so you know there's a lot of sharpshooting we can do right well, size. Anyway, so good stuff there. So anyway, so uh, they were hard-hearted. Explains Jesus's. Uh, t- he always would uh, speak in parables to those that he knew their hearts. So Jesus was always knowing people's hearts. Always, 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 always knew their hearts, and he would always speak directly to the issue of the person, to his disciples, to the person, to whoever was in front of him. He would know. So he was. He would. He would speak transparently with his people. So the, the goal, since Jesus came, was always to speak transparently with his people, intimate. The intimates with him. That's what the disciples were. So he would explain the parables anytime they would ask. If they didn't ask, he wouldn't answer. And three fourths of the time, they didn't know what he was meaning, and he knew that too. So he would repeat himself. He would repeat himself. He would repeat himself. And then, even though like we would get frustrated, he didn't get frustrated with them. He gives them the Holy Spirit later on because he knows. Okay. This isn't going to do with me just counseling you. I'm getting ready to go. So we'll see that in a minute. So explains to the disciples, Jesus highlights children. I love this part. Um, Jesus highlights relationships. He's talking about kids all the time. And the little children, the kingdom of God is like little children. Like, uh, and he talks about relationships. Never before, never before was God perceived as father. Abba came in because of Jesus. Yeah, they never knew him that way. So he stresses, he starts stressing relationship all throughout. So he stresses it again. And he hits the little children. And little children are very, very simple, right? They believe childlike faith. They'll receive anything, right? They, they receive what's true. You don't have to have 100 million, trillion, billion Bible verses to have faith. You just say, God said it, he'll do it. There was a lady a couple weeks ago, I had uh, dinner with, me and Kevin had dinner with her, and she was talking to me about just how she prays for people. And the simplicity of her faith was very simple, but boy, does she pray. She just has those verses, and she gets down on it. And she has faith like a child. She can just call it. And that's how God is with us, that, he, that we know he loves us. So he stresses the relational side and that how we're to pro- approach him. He talks about uh, the rich young ruler approaches him, and he talks about the love of money. He explains it again, because back then they thought that money was a definer of honor by God. Even like the caste system in India, well, you must have done something. That's why there's something wrong. You must have been a murderer in another life. That's why you're lame. So in the same thing, he, and they asked Jesus, hey, what's up with this child? Why is, why is he like this? And they said, is it a sin of his father? And he says, no, it's that the glory of God might be revealed. Right? So, so he, he, he explains things, and he, and he explains it to them. And then, and then the disciples, Peter says, well, you know, oh, my gosh, who can be saved, you know? He says to him in that part, in that whole scenario, if you have it, there's a Bible that's a um, narrative Bible that goes through the whole order of things. It's so good. You get to read things as it was really happening. 
And so it puts it in context of things. A lot of the Bible is, the majority of the Bible is written in chiastic format, so, um, it, which is a um, different way of thinking. So the way it's booked together, it's like books and center points with bookends. Um, but if you read it narratively, you can see when he's talking in the fluidity of what he said when, and sometimes it's not that way. And the reason that it's not in the order in, in scripture is because uh, it's written chiastically, which is a, a um, Hebrew way of thinking. Uh, they, they talk about the whole point and making the point. It's, it's like a storyboard, they do things. So it doesn't matter to them the order. Uh, we do things chronologically. They're not doing it for that purpose. It's for points, for the merit of, of what they're doing, the completing of it. We have Bible school that starts also in September. So if you want to jump into it, I'm in it right now. I've been auditing it, and it's phenomenal. We have Dr. Peter Young who teaches it. He's Dr. Doctor. He's got two PhDs. But he's not overloading you with just like all of his crazy information that to me sometimes doesn't have a purpose. I have to have like, give me something for reason, you know. I need to, you know, give me something to do something with. I don't want just, you know, random knowledge to stuff my head full. I want, like, the good stuff. So his class, we, uh, he teaches for Bethel and also for Global Awakening, their master's program for Bible. And so he teaches one at his church, Bridgeway. He was here, did the Father's Heart uh, weekend with us, and he also teaches Bible school. He's phenomenal. I think it's a phenomenal class. So it starts in September. I would highly highly recommend taking Bible school with him. You can audit it, so if you can't make the class, you can listen to the recording, uh, watch the video, so you watch a video and then there's a recorded class with us live. So, so if you miss it, you can watch it. If you can't make it all the time, you can still audit it and have all the materials, so it's so wonderful. But what I love about it is it, it's, it's the reason why it was written. You know, it's, it's giving the thought and the concept of why were these things given to us. And it's not just random information, but it's showing you the context of the New Testament. That's what we've been going through. And it puts it all in context. And you see things, everything shifts when you understand chiastically um, why the Bible's put together the way it is. It just, it's just, it blows, I, there's things that I've seen, I'm like, I've never seen that. I'm so surprised, that's amazing. You're just, you know, open mouth. So. So anyway, so, um, so he explains the parables. He tells them the love of money. Uh, he, they, his, his, um, his, uh, Peter talks to him, that Jesus and says, well, what about us? We've given up so much, you know, because he talks about the love of possessions, and then he talks about forsaking earthly attachments. Peter discusses with him, well, what about us? You know, we've given up everything, and he tells him, no, nothing that you've given up in this life uh, for this life, or you'll be rewarded for this life and the life that is to come a hundredfold. So he tells him of the reward. And then he goes on, uh, he talks about uh, his death, but he, he goes, at the end, he talks about the 10 minus, and he, again, reiterates to them, reiterates to the disciples of reward. He's talking about reward up here, and then he's talking about dominion and authority down here in reward. So when, he's, when the minus is, it's, it's overseeing of regions. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about ruling and reigning with him, which we will in the millennial rule when Jesus comes back. So there's a reward for everything we do in this life. And it, it really is, God sees uh, our motives, God sees our efforts, God sees our intentions, God sees what we do that we don't remember, what we sacrifice, what we give. Uh, and so there's a reward for it all. Uh, there's a reward for our selfless lives 
our devoted lives to Christ, there's a reward. Uh, so, so he talks about, he, he then goes on because um, <laughs> Peter, he has a kind of a big mouth. He goes on to give trouble. Uh, he was giving trouble, you know, he wanted his, he has his mom. He wanted to sit at, at Jesus's right and left, him and his brother. So Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking, but he then sends his mom over, you know, go and ask him, you know, for us to get to squeeze in, you know. And, uh, and he deals with ego and, and pride there. It's so powerful. If you look at it with the tabernacle, when this is being taught, when he co they come down and they, they were on the tabernacle and he starts to talk about uh, the ones that were on the, where, where they saw the uh, tabernacle on the glory of God, Moses and Elisha on the mountain. Um, the three that were up there with him, when they came down, they became very prideful like, wow, we must have been really special. So they talk, started talking to Jesus about sitting at his right and his left. And he's talking in that same concept. He's talking about sacrifice and um, selflessness. And they're talking about um, being seen and having position, which is crazy. So he deals with ego and pride with James and John. Um, he deals with um, humility. He teaches humility. So another stress uh, point that Jesus is dealing with, Zacchaeus. He shows with Zacchaeus true salvation, true salvation, because they are used to the pharisaical, the religious way of doing things, buying your way into um, paradise, uh, you know, paying for, what is it, um, sacrifices, animal sacrifices that had to be without blemish, paying over embellished prices because they controlled the temple money and the animals. So you were being constantly, uh, what is it, um, stolen from, exploited. So Jesus talks about what truly following God is and true salvation here with Zacchaeus. Then he goes on to heal the blind and he shows compassion and mercy. And it's a real emphasis on the compassion and mercy of God there. So again, he's closing up things and he's putting things together. He, he put, has the parable of the minas, and then after all of this, so he's teaching them something. He's teaching them, this is how you're to live your life, and then he's anointed. It's amazing. Be Mary at Bethany, you know, the alabaster jar, and he's anointed, and so again, we do these things, and look at what comes upon us, you know? Isn't that powerful? The anointing of God comes upon us. We're consecrated for something. And so just a powerful, powerful time. And so um, Jesus knew he had to deposit in them. And, uh, but he knew they didn't get it. They didn't get it because they had Jesus outside, but they didn't have Jesus inside. And so he would say these amazing, amazing, profound things. And he was constantly talking and revealing people's hearts, and they would not get it. They were clueless. And so he knew that he would have to give, give them something more. So go to the next slide. Go ahead. All right. So he knew the next step for them was walking in the Spirit. So he says here in John 16, there's so much more that I want to tell you. John 14, 15, and 16 are fabulous chapters to study. So good. You're going to get the, like, full yummy of, like, Jesus and everything he came to say and do. Uh, such powerful three chapters. So... There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. See, they can't bear it right now. They can't. You know why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. There's things that Jesus couldn't reveal to them. 
He couldn't tell them stuff. There's tons and tons of stuff that Jesus, they couldn't understand even what he did tell them, and there's other stuff he did want to tell them, but he couldn't because they couldn't bear it. So he said to them, I, I want to tell you, I want to reveal this, but you can't bear it. You can't know what's to come. You can't even know what's going on with me. I, I can tell you three times that I'm going to die, and you're, you're get, not getting it. And they were actually talking, uh, they were talking about who's going to uh, sit at his right and his left, and he's talking about dying. And they're like, right over their head, didn't get it. Distracted with carnal, distracted with natural thinking. Um, just unfocused, just, just confused. <laughs> so it says, but when the spirit of truth comes, so Jesus is the truth, you know, he's only truth. We think there's lots of ways of truth. We have, truth can be relative, but God's truth is one way. We don't get to make it up. So the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, all truth. He doesn't give you partial truth. He says he gives us the mystery, makes known to us the mysteries of Christ. That word is mysterion, the mysteries. That means, what that means is like, there's the black and white, and then there's the whole inside that's the gray. It's like the logos is the written word, and the rhema is the gray. It's the, a living word that comes alive, like alive off the page, and then you become the living epistle from it. So good, right? So he says, he will tell you the truth. He says, he will not speak on his own, he won't speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. So what he hears from the Father, he will tell you. So no longer will they be ignorant and just disconnected and not getting things and dull. Jesus was constantly telling them they were dull, dull thinking, dull-minded. He will tell you about the future, so he will reveal to you the things that you don't know. That's even a, a beginning of the prophetic or a validation of the prophetic. He will give, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me, whatever he, he, he will tell you whatever he receives, all that belongs to the Father's mind. And this is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. John 14 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. This word another means like, just like, of the same as Jesus equal to, of equal part or equal standing. The advocate, which is comforter. And the word comfort means, the word comfort, it's not just comfort, it means something. Let's see if I have it here. I did have it. It means it's derived from parakletos, which that word here is parakletos, comforter. It means an imploration of solace, imploring, of solace, uh, exhortation, uh, hortation, which this word means in, innating or uh, irating, giving advice. So it's like as if initiating, stirring up, giving forth advice, solace, understanding, imploration, like he's imploring us. It even has connotations of pity, compassion, compassion. They never knew God like that. They never knew those. They never experienced him firsthandedly. They never had that. They knew, had the rules. They had the law that they would obey the law and they would be clean or the unclean, but they never had the experience of being as they were and accepted. There was never a propitiation for their sin. So it's so powerful. So he says, uh, the advocate, 
So this, this advocate would come to be with you forever. So he doesn't go away. We can quench him, but he doesn't go. We quench him. We can't hear him because of maybe sin or, you know, um, uh, you know there's, it's really sin that will cause it, us to not hear. Uh, deafness is, is from sin. Uh, so all of this I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's coming because of his name, will teach you all things. So that's all. He's going to reveal to you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So when you start finding, remembering, oh, that's, you know, the Lord reminds you of stuff. That's him. So he's giving us something, the advocate. So this word means here, the advocate, where is it here? He abides with you is para, okay? So there's different infillings. The Holy Spirit is known three ways. It's around or with, para. It's in, which is this word right here, en, which is inside you. That's when you receive Christ. And then the last word is epi, which is overflow. And that is an infilling that they got in Pentecost. And oftentimes that is used for ministry to others. It's an infilling uh, uh, for presence for others. And it tends to move in the gifts as well, and powerful gifts. So, so, um, so we'll be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. So again, you see he's talking to us as children again here. That's, again, we were never spoke to like this, as sons and daughters, fathers, sons, uh, owned, having an, an inheritance. You know, in, in when, when you were of a royal family or of a statured family, you would wear a robe. Your father would give you a ring. It was a signet. Kings wore them. You would have a robe that was of a signet. You would have like a signature. They would even know many times. You wore the colors of the house of something. You know, if you were of royalty or of high stature. So he gives us something. So he gives us something. So they had that. So he puts, he, he, they, they were no longer orphans. And he's telling them he's getting ready to leave, but they don't get it. Like, why would I, you know, it's a, why would I be orphaned? Well, they, they didn't get that. Orphans who? I'm not orphaned. We're with you, Jesus. But they didn't get that. But they needed the Holy Spirit because they couldn't discern things in the natural reasoning. And if you try to do things in your own natural way, you can't discern things. You can't. You're, you're just not. You're dull. Your mind doesn't work like God's. His ways are higher than our ways. So you need the mind of Christ. You need the mind of the Spirit, and you need his wisdom. You need his guidance. You need his wisdom. Not natural wisdom. You need his wisdom. So he will teach you of all things. So what that means is if I need something for my business, I have the Holy Spirit because he's the genius. I have the CEO. I don't even need to talk to the CEO. I have the CEO in my house, in me. He'll tell me what the CEO needs to know. He'll tell me what the CEO is doing. He'll tell me what the market's doing. He'll tell me what the future holds. If I'm wise and I'm discerning, he'll guide me. He'll show me the way. He'll show me to turn to the right, to turn to the left. Yeah, he'll tell me not to go here. You ever had the Holy Spirit tell you, don't go down that road? Don't walk over there? He'll tell you. He'll tell you. He will teach you all things. And he will remind you everything I have told you. So Romans 14 says, for God's kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking. So again, it's showing here naturalness. It's not. It's not. It's righteousness, peace, and joy with the Holy, which the Holy Spirit gives. So this righteousness is not righteousness in and of yourself. It's not. 
the righteousness is of Christ. Meaning that there's nothing that you could do to ever make yourself worthy, which should set you free. There is nothing that you could ever do well enough, good enough, enough of enough and of enough to ever be good enough. Your righteousness comes apart from yourself. You need the righteousness of Christ. You need the atoning righteousness of Christ. The peace that he gives is not the world's peace. It's not natural peace. It's his peace. It's, it's a supernatural ability of him because he is peace. He's peace. And then joy because he is joy. So where the evidence of the Holy Spirit is, there's joy, righteousness, peace, and joy. And the powerful thing of that is that if we're believers following Christ and we are really full of the things of God or full of his spirit, we should be very joyful. So a little dancing, a little, you know, like, you know, some countries are like this, you know, in India they do this, you know, and then they kick their feet like this. <laughs> we should be very joyful. We should not be somber people. We have, we have the joy, yes, we have the joy, we have joy. And if we don't have joy, we're to rejoice, the Bible says, and that word means to refill with joy. He is joy, joy unspeakable, full of glory. That's what his word says. He is joy unspeakable. So I can't even explain joy. It's not even like happiness. Happiness is stinky. You don't want happiness, you want joy. Joy doesn't come from you. Joy comes in the midst of adversities. We're gonna see coming up in, in uh, James. Joy comes in the midst of adversity. Why does that happen? Why? Because I have his joy. He is my joy. I'm found in him. I'm rooted in him. I'm established in him. So, and he can, and, and it's only what he can give. That's why the world doesn't get it sometimes. And that's why we lose it because we forget where our foundation, where our source is. We lose our spot, we lose our place, we get confused, we're off kilter, we're off sync. We're not in step with him, walk in the spirit. Well, if I'm walking in the spirit, I will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Well, that means I'm walking somewhere, I'm, I'm moving, right? I'm moving, I'm moving, and I'm staying in sync. If I walk too fast, I walk too fast for my husband. <laughs> and he's always behind me, and he's like, oh, don't go so quick, don't go so quick. So I have to get in sync with him. My grandson walks much slower than me. I have to get in sync with him. So I have to walk in step with the spirit. If I'm ahead of him, I miss him. If I'm behind him, I miss the turn, right? You know, I miss my way. So I have to stay walking in him. It's presence, it's always intimacy. The biggest problem that we have as believers is we want to, we want to fulfill walking in the spirit through natural means or, or, or external measures. You cannot walk in the spirit or even measure maturity through external means. It's not an outward demonstration. It is, but it's not, it's internal. It's always inside, always. Into me you see, intimacy. So it's a constant communion and it's a constant willingness to be very transparent with him. He wants to be very, very, very transparent. He wants to be able to tell you the things if he has to chastise you and chastisement's not necessarily a trial. Chastisement is a consequence for sin. So, or, or, or you're not obeying him. Maybe you're not doing something particularly wrong, but you missed him and you're not doing what he told you to do. That's just as wrong, okay? And so chastisement will come to you and he chastises those that he loves. But trials are different because that's the external. So it says here, Galatians 5, so I say walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires the passions of the flesh, 
This is the natural. We wrestle against, we're going to see on the next, we wrestle against three things. Our flesh, which is our sin nature. We're fallen. You have a baby, you know, it's like, they're so sweet, they're so cute, they're so cuddly. It's like, oh, and then they bite you. <laughs> or they rip half your hair out, you know, or they punch you, you know, because they don't like the food, you know, you know or, or they bite you again, you know, or they hit you, you know, they hit you with something because you've made them angry. They're the selfish, self, most selfish little buggers that could walk, right? Because there's a sin nature. We have to teach them to share. We have to teach them to be kind. We have to teach them to not be mean. We have to teach them to tell the truth. Where does that come from? That's not learned behavior. That's innate. That's in them. That selfish side is in us. So that's our flesh. For the flesh craves what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, and the spirit is, is, is what is contrary to the flesh. They are opposed. They are opposites. They're not friends. So what, what, um, what partnership does light have with darkness, the Bible says? Flee all appearances of evil. Why do we run from evil? Because we're to have no partnership with it. We're to have no, uh, we're to have, they're at opposition. It wars within us. It begins to war in our members when we give place to things. Things become a stronghold in your life because you gave attention to it. How do you get rid of it? You start to disassemble the stronghold. Maybe you need deliverance. Maybe you need inner healing. But, but you have a stronghold because you have opened the door to something that has been sin, and now it is in opposition, and when you can no longer control it, you're given over to it, which changes everything. Maybe not in all parts, but in some. That's why you weep over these things. So that's why, so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is so powerful. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sexual sins are unto yourself. We talked about that. You don't want to do it. It's, it you have an urge to merge, as they used to say in my church when I was going to get married. An urge to merge, get married. But you are not to be immoral. You are not to have sex outside of marriage. It's the only thing where the sin is unto yourself, and there's a reason for that. If you study it, it's a sin unto yourself. It's a sin unto the body, and there's a fracturing that even begins to happen with your, with your soul. And so you do not want to do that. You want to avoid that. Abstain from it. So, and watch your eyes. You, wouldn't, you won't do it. You won't do those things if you would just guard your heart. Your, the Bible says your eyes and your ears and your heart, their uh, eye gates, guard them. You know, don't, don't be where you don't need to be. You know, if it's a problem for you on the beach, it's a problem for you on the beach. Don't go to Miami Beach where there's only half their clothes on. So don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. Don't put yourself in things. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery. Idolatry is the worship of other things. We say in this country we don't have idols. Oh, they have idols in that country. We have plenty of idols. We have plenty of things that are not on the shelf that we bow to. Plenty. Plenty. We are an idolatrous nation as well. We are. And so we're to ha not have that. We, that's why Jesus is talking to them about the denial of their possessions and the, and the sacrifice of their things. So... Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery. Sorcery is uh, domination even in control. That goes with witchcraft. So hatred. People think, oh, I'm not, you know, I don't participate in any of that. But domination and manipulative people, you're, you're participating with something. Hatred, discord. We can all hate, right? Covetousness. Covetousness is the one 
the one uh, commandment of the Ten Commandments that's of the heart, the rest are all external. Covetousness is the one that got them. Yeah. Oh, I've kept all the law, right? And he said, but covet, Jesus said, but covetous. It's the heart. So hatred, we can hate in our heart, discord, jealousy, rage, all the rivalries. Ew, rivalries, so easy. Divisions, factions, yes, I'm the right one, side with me. Uh, they're on the other side. They're the ones. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as... It's crazy that they had even this kind of stuff going on, but it, it did. Uh, I warn you, as I did before, that those who practice such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. This is where it is. The fruit, this is walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not follow. Well, so what is the walking in the Spirit? We begin to bear fruit. Maturity, which is Galatians here, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, against there is no law. That stuff is what we bear because we're walking in the spirit, because he is those things. So we, have, we don't have to fulfill the law when we walk in that. We could never fulfill the law. The law kills and is unto death. The Bible is very clear, but the spirit is unto life. So we don't try to fulfill walking the walk of Christ or walking in relationship with Christ or walking out our um, salvation, uh, our ministry, we're actually ambassadors of reconciliation. We're ministers of reconciliation, we're going to see. So we go past, you know, our salvation. We actually go into ministers of reconciliation for others. We have been reconciled. We are reconciling others. So this is how we walk in the ministry of reconciliation. We choose to walk in those. If you study those, they're very powerful. Um, patience is this one right here is hypomeno. Um, it's um, patience, endurance under, uh, patience under pain. Patience under pain. I don't know if anyone knows of Dutch Sheets. He does a prayer, intercessory prayer, 15 minutes and, uh, for the nation and things like that. And he, he says that um, in all his years of ministry, 30 plus ministries, he's never seen um, the, the number one fruit that he has seen that has produced the most breakthrough in his ministry, like where he was waiting on a breakthrough, it had prophetic word, and it would take 10, 15 years for the fulfillment of what God spoke over his life. The number one fruit that he said made that happen was patience, perseverance. Same word. Hypomeno. Endurance under pain, and it actually means with joy. <laughs> But he said that he believes that is the most powerful of all of them is the patience, the perseverance, continuing to do what God told you to do, even if it's, it's not working out and you're su suffering for it. Better to suffer for righteousness' sake than for sin. So kindness, faithful, self-control against there's no law. There is no law. There's no law. You can't break these. You can just go for it. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified there's a scripture in, I don't know if I put it in here, and uh, it's in the, um, I don't know if it's in the New Living or Berean or something, something nerdy like that. <laughs> and it says, always carrying around the body of the dying Lord Jesus that the resurrected Christ may live within us. It's something in that phrasing. And so we are crucifying, we are passing through the grave to our wants, our needs, our desires, our will, what we want to what he wants. 
And we are crucifying the flesh with all of its passions and desires since we live by the Spirit, since we're living. See, we're not, we're not managing by the Spirit. We're not ritual. We're not like in routine. I'm a robot. I'm a robot. I have to do all the rules. That's what they turned into. <laughs> Pharisees turned into like robots, like weirdos. They took 10 commandments and they made over 500 or 680 something or something crazy number to expound upon the original 10. And that's why Jesus was breaking the law when he was carrying his mat. He wasn't breaking his law, his law, you know, because he's God. He's breaking their law all the time. And it was many of them because they added them. So this is how we live. We live by the spirit. We can't live by the law. The law kills. The law destroys. So let us walk in step, in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, or envying of, any, of uh, any, anyone or one another. There's some other parts in that, but again, envy is up here as well, I think. So go to the next slide. Have you lost me? <laughs> it's now time to preach out of the Bible. <laughs> okay. Like six weeks ago when the transformer blew. It's hilarious. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to preach out of the Bible. <laughs> Who does that? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I do. It's fine. So I do. I do. Okay, I can preach out of the Bible. I did. So 1 Corinthians 10, walk in the spirit. No temptation. We're going to talk about temptation. So there's differences. Temptation, trials, tribulations, and testings. Okay. Temptation is not from God. First Corinthians says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you will not, uh, that you may be able to endure it. There's another scripture. I don't think I put it in here. Uh, he will not tempt you uh, with evil. He will not tempt you with evil. So um, he does not. God does not tempt you to sin. He doesn't. That is the devil. That's always the devil. Good God, bad devil. Very easy, super easy categories. Good God, bad devil. If it's bad, it's dark, it's ugly, it's mean, it's nasty, it's all those deviant, disgusting things. Uh, death, sickness, illness, despondency, anxiety, fear, none of that's from God, ever. Ever, ever, never, ever, ever. Never from God. Bad devil, good God. A lot of people blame God for the things that go on in the world. We don't even need a devil after we're done because we, we've blamed everything on God. Oh, that's God that caused that famine. That's God. That's God. No, it's not God. Judgment is even coming around right now. We're in a season of dispensation of grace. We're not under judgment. So the judgment is not happening because if judgment was happening, all y'all and me would just be smoking flax, you know, like sh little pillars, you know, like Lot and the whole thing. That would be us. Okay, we would be burning ones, but not for a good reason, okay? All right, so if we were under judgment, everybody would be under judgment. It's not possible if you think about it. If everybody's under judgment, it'd be pretty bad. What we have is consequence. We have consequences. The chastisement is what we get. So God has consequences for sin. It's set from the original. It's already in the book. You can say, oh, well, I don't believe that. No, I'm not going to do that. There's nothing wrong with me in that. Okay, there's nothing wrong, but there is a consequence. God's not, he's not like striking people with like a, uh, a bolt of lightning. Consequence time. No, it's set into order. 
So that means like if I, it's just like gravity, if I walk off the side of the building, I'm gonna fall, right? Well, I don't believe in gravity. Well, see how your broken leg is, right? There's gravity, it's a spiritual true. Buddhism borrows spiritual truths from the creator. Don't, don't covet, don't steal, you know, don't deceive, um, selflessness or material possessions, it's all borrowed. But it's divinely created by the creator. It's, it's his stuff, they're just borrowing it. And all the other, anything that's true, anything that's true, anything that's counterfeited, is, there's a, an original. So the devil is only counterfeiting. He can't create anything. He creates zero. He only counterfeits what God has created already or established or distorts it, twists it. So we have these things. We walk in the spirit. So there's three areas of battle that we as believers. So the temptation is never from God. The testings and the trials are allowed by God for us to see. It's not God to see what's up with you. God knows what's up with you. <laughs> it's really true. He knows everything that's up with you. And he likes you. He like, likes you a lot. So, but God, God is, so God is not needing to reveal you. You need to see you. God is revealing the secret places of your heart and of yourself when he's doing this. That's his purpose. He's revealing, so temp, trial and testings produce, uh, 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 um, there's words for it. Pro, trials, uh, it's an examining it's an examining. Trials are an examining. The actual word means to examine. It also means a burning, can be a burning, a sifting, an examining, uh, a, a testing of what is genuine, what is core, to make proof of. can actually even be a legal term. Courts of heaven, for those who are familiar with it. So we have these three areas that we wrestle against. And in these three areas, the temptation, or the temptation is not from, from the Lord of evil, but these three areas of battle is sin, a fallen world, and the devil. So Ephesians says, it talks about it here, you can look it up, the course of, the, of this world, the passions of our flesh, and the prince and power of the air. That is, the, the course of this world is the fallen world. The passion of our flesh is our sin nature. Anytime you see flesh, it's your sin nature in the word. Natural mindedness is fleshly as well. Leaning, discerning things through a natural reasoning. Oh, I'm gonna get sick again. Oh, I'm not gonna get better. Oh, that's what the doctor says. Well, you just need to be wise. No, you're being natural sometimes. You're being naturally minded. The Bible calls it natural mindedness. So. We have a fallen world, we have our sin nature, and then we have the devil. So our flesh, we talked about Romans uh, on the one before, uh, for we, it says here, for what I'm doing, I don't understand. How about that? You see, that's even the kids. Why am I getting a spanking? I wanted to do that. You know, I want that, you know? I took it, therefore I'll have it. It's the same thing we have. We, we have it, we want it, we take it, right? So you do not have what you want. This is like a little baby right here, right? <laughs> take what you want. You know, same thing, same concept of children. Uh, so, so it says, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. How many of you are like that? Me. What I would like to do. Oh, I just really want to do that. But I don't. But I am doing, but I am doing the very thing I hate. That's, again, your flesh, the internal wrestling. You do not have the power over sin apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. I tell, I've told my kids... 
I've told my son, you can have your best day. You can have a lot of really good days. But if you are not doing things in the power of the Holy Spirit and you are not, you are not combating and approaching the things of the devil, the attacks of the enemy, the warfare against your life with the power of God, you will not win. You might win half of the time. You might win eight of the times. But you will not win all of the time. And the time that the enemy sifts you, you will be sorry. You must fight things in the realm of the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Nothing can be overcome in this light without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do nothing apart from him. Nothing. Self-sufficiency is the greatest holdback for you, is living a self-sufficient life. You're a vessel. You're supposed to be filled with something. So when you do it with yourself and your own reasoning and your own understanding and your own wisdom and your own this and your own that and your own degree and your own ideas and your own plans and your own pursuits, um, you're not going to get there. You're doing it wrong. Or you're, or you're running with like almost like you're not running, you're dragging your feet. You ever walked with cement shoes? No. You ever walked in the ocean? Yes. Try to drag it. You can't do it. Because there's things that are opposing you, and you do not have enough strength in and of yourself. You must live with the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, a life led by this Holy Spirit. So the things that I am doing, the very thing, I would say this would be things. <laughs> I hate, I despise. You hate about five or six things in yourself, and God knows all 52 or 547 things of you, right? But you're like just persecuting yourself and beating yourself up and you know like ah, you know I'm undone and God knows everything that's a wreck the train wreck you could even be or really are but he's able to fix you he's able to cause you to stand the Bible says so so the sin that dwells in me so I hate the things that I just really really hate if you live the life of the spirit if you walk in the spirit you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh you will eventually stop craving what is unclean if you will pursue the things of the Spirit. If you will fill yourself with righteousness, peace, and joy, you will fill yourself and, 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 and renew your mind, transform your mind with the written word and allow the logos to transform you and then the rhema to come and reveal to you your everyday life things. That's what he wants to do. You were never supposed to just have a book. You were supposed to have a person. Always. You were always supposed to have a person. God was, we were created from the beginning for relationship. You are disconnected. You are disjointed when you're not in fellowship with him. You cannot depend on yourself. You can't trust yourself. You shouldn't trust yourself. I've decided I'm not trusting myself. I've made so many bright ideas and none of them work. And then the ones that did work were half working. And then I waited several years and I realized, wow, that was a C minus, you know? Major effort, right? Like A plus plus for grinding myself out, right? Like just striving to do it. And then I turn out and it's like, yeah, A plus plus, I'm exhausted and I got a C minus, you know, or a D, you know? So you are not, okay, it says for, but sin dwells in me, if I do, but I am not, can you turn this down just a touch? I think I'm uh, feeding back. I have this marshmallow thing right here. It's a chick play. I'm supposed to put it on here, but I don't like it because it looks like I have like gum. Look, don't you think this looks like gum? Do you think it looks like gum? I think it looks like gum and I see it and it looks like it's like a marshmallow or something. 
like on my lip, you know, because when I see it, it's like right, it's right, right there. It's right there. <laughs> anyway, all right, so going back to this. So um, the things that I, the doing the very things I hate, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now I, I choose, I am no longer, am I the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. So the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin that dwells in me. So this is the sin nature choosing. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for the willing for the willing is present to me. Ever wanted to do it? Just really, really wanna. Boy, I hate when I do that. That just, uh, I, there's things I can think of right now and I'm like, I am really willing. The willing is present to me, but the doing of the good is not because I don't have the power over sin. I can't defeat the devil. The devil's attacks, his temptations, his um, adversities, his afflictions on my life. I can't do it in my own strength. I have got to do things in synchronicity with the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's presently made the doing of good is not. You can't do it. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want. And if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. This is your flesh. This is the desire of the flesh. This is that struggle, that internal struggle that goes on for all of us. So Galatians again says, I walk by the spirit. I won't gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm walking. I'm not living by a rule book. I'm not living by ritual like outside uh, pressings or outside uh, rules, external pressings. Does that make sense? Like when I've always with rules, ever been around people that are very uh, judgmental or critical or self make you self-conscious? What happens? You know? Did they, what do they think I did that for? Oh, I, I shouldn't say that. They're going to think I said that for this reason. That's, that's what they're going to think that. Oh, I can't say that now. I, I should just be quiet. If I say that around them, they're going to think something, you know? Very judgmental. That's the external. The external makes you very self-conscious. If you're living by the external, you become very self-conscious with your life because it's legislating external rules. And it's actually an internal change that you need. You have to have the internal change, the transformation. So living, walking in the spirit is how we do it. So we don't fulfill any of these nasty things that we struggle and we wrestle with. And they, we, we saw that. So we go back to the fruit of the spirit. That's what bear, we bear fruit. That's the fruit of the maturity. That's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in our life. We're, we're in synchronicity with him. We're looking to him. We're asking. We're constantly in communion. If I want a good marriage, I need to talk to my husband. If I want a good marriage, I need to laugh at my husband's jokes, <laughs> even when they're not funny. <laughs> even if he sends them like a whole lot of times, and I've heard it already, like five or six, huh? Maybe even 20 times, huh? Been with him like 30 years, huh? 30 plus. I hear some of these jokes, I need to laugh at them like they're fresh. Freshy fresh, okay? <laughs> I need to like the things that he likes, right? If I love him and I, I, have, I want to be close and I want him to feel like he knows I love him and I want him to know that I love him, I'm gonna do that. It's the same thing. I'm going to embrace what is, what, what is good. I'm gonna embrace what is true. It's not just a prayer on a Sunday, oh, I received Jesus. No, you have to really embrace it. You have to, if you're really in faith, you will embrace, your works will demonstrate your faith. And you, it's not out of law, it's not out of law, but it is out of heart. 
And Jesus was constantly dealing with the people that of the legislating of the heart. They wanted to legislate from externals, rules and constraints, external constraints. That's the word I was looking for when it was actually internal freedom. Internal transformation. Super good. That's good, Sherry. The light was on for that. That's good. The light was on for that. All right, so against these things, I love this. There's no law. You can't overdo these. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You can master it now. You can master it. You can have mastery over it. You're going to trip at times, but you're going to find that if you keep trucking along with the Holy Spirit, it's like when I, years ago, I would talk to this Buddhist when I was working, and he would say to me, oh, you know, you just really got to get into this, Sherry, and blah, blah, blah. And I was saying, yeah, but that's so much burden on you. You got to get yourself to that higher level of consciousness, man. I don't know how to get my, my, myself out of bed sometimes. You got to fix, you got to do all that yourself. Buddha doesn't talk to you. God talks to me. I don't know how I got from here to over here, but I did. And that's just the power of God. That's the living Christ in me, fixing me. How did I fix this? How did I become more sane? How did I become more level? How did I become more stable? How did I become more wise? How did I become more knowledgeable? How did I, get, how did I become so powerful? That's not from, you know, I don't know, some conference that I go to. What's that guy that, uh, you know, jumps around? It's not Tony Robbins. Eh, exactly. That can be external, external management. You just got to pump yourself up, you know? No, how did I get fixed? I don't even know how to fix myself. I know, I, you know, I think I, there was a time in my life in my 20s, and I thought, man, I am a real hot mess. I got so much junk to deal with. By the time I figure out half of what's wrong with me, I'm gonna have be dragging a whole nother U-Haul of, of the junk I picked up. But you see, when you have the Lord, you don't put yourself back together, he does. You just walk with him. You're not a robot, you're in relationship. And you're walking in the spirit and you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Stuff starts falling off of you, you're a vessel. Let me tell you something, you're, the only reason why you fill with the wrong things, the things of the flesh, is because it's a counterfeit. You are made to be filled with something. We fill ourselves with alcohol, with drugs, with women, men, uh, illicit relationships. We, we fill ourselves with all of this extra stuff because we're empty. And the minute, the season that you begin to realize that you were created, you were a vessel and you were created to be filled, and it's because you're empty and you're not supposed to be together self-sufficient all by yourself and you actually learn to live by the spirit, you will not want to fulfill certain desires anymore. You will find yourself full. And the Bible says in Proverbs, uh, to him who is ravenous or her, even what is bitter is sweet. You have a ravenous appetite for wrong things because you're empty and you have to figure out what it is. And you have to get honest and you have to get healed and you have to get set free. Sozo is saved, delivered and healed. Well, we're saved, but we need to be delivered, and we need to be healed. Well, we're not just physically healed. We need to be emotionally healed. There's a lot of trauma. We need to be fixed. Our mind needs to be fixed. We need to get it together. So, all right, fallen, fallen world, fallen world. Adam had dominion, okay? They sinned. Dominion was given to the devil. That's why we see all this stuff going on. Jesus is not in control over the world. You see famine, pestilence, starvation. Uh, you see trafficking of children, the most 
you know, you see tribes killing each other. You see it in our country, racial things going on. You see all this. Again, it's a fallen world. We don't see Jesus ruling and reigning. When he returns, he will rule and reign. But right now, dominion is the, that dominion is the enemy has. And the only way we take back dominion is by operating in the power of God. So what we're wrestling, we, we're dealing with a fallen world and we're dealing with the devil who is going to oppose us every chance he gets every time you're trying to fulfill your destiny with your life. Everything. If, you, if God tells you a calling over your life, if he says prophetically, you're going to do this with your life, he speaks over promises, the minute it comes out of the prophet's mouth or the prophetic person's mouth, you're going to find that the enemy comes in like a flood. He comes in, or he comes in like the birds of the air, and he tries to eat the seeds that are first just dropped. He's going to want to keep you from it. Why? Because if he can steal it in the birthing, if he can steal it in the, in, the, in the birth, the birthing forth of it, he can take it from you. That's why kids that are Christian families and children are so opposed and attacked. It's because the enemy knows that there's destiny on your children's life, and if they just but get it together and they get out of the adolescent, that birthing stage, and they find themselves in their foundational position, they're unstoppable. That's why the opposition is there. Why the opposition comes in your marriage in the early stages. The enemy is trying to steal destiny from your life. He can't take you to hell, but he can't take uh, all the promises of God from being fulfilled in your life in this lifetime. And he can make your life almost living hell. And he will. He's not playing. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10 says, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Zoe life. Zoe life. That's God life. That's abundant life beyond what you could ever ask or think. How it should have been in Eden. The plan of God that was really for your life. Universal flourishing. You've heard of shalom. That word means universal peace. Universal flourishing. Peace and flourishing on every side. It's a promise. So the devil is not going to let you go. He, it, he says we're wrestling, we wrestle against flesh and blood, that they're an external. We're, we're in Christ, but Ephesians 6 says we're not wrestling against flesh. Principalities, that's in the heavenlies. This right here is in the heavenlies. This is, again, fallen world. You know, even over Miami, people say when they fly in here, ministers, they say there's like a hindrance over it from all of the witchcraft and crazy stuff that goes on here in the city. So that's what it is, a fallen world, the principalities. You see it in like Africa or certain countries where there's heavy witchcraft. Why um, uh, witch doctors will go in the church and levitate. They'll go into the church during their worship service and start levitating, you know, it happens. Well, we're like here, we're like, no way, that would never happen. Fakery, no, not in, not in those places, <laughs> not at all, because there's strong principalities. It's generational stuff that's built just like we, we build things up generationally for, for righteousness, we build things up for blessing generationally, the same thing goes on the other side. So, so 2 Corinthians 10, so uh, for through, though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare uh, are not of the world. Instead, they have divine power. You see, you gotta use divine power. You have to learn to be an intercessor, learn to be a warfare prayer. You know, one, one learns to wield a sword, okay? To demolish, to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments, all the arguments, the vain imaginations, the lies, the lying voices, that's the enemy, the slandering voices, the voices that even sound like yourself. One of the most common ways that the devil comes to you is in the voice of yourself. You can do that. God's not with you. 
most common voice of the enemy is yourself. He uses, he's tricky. He's never like, oh, I'm the devil with a pitchfork. I'm the devil. It's not like that. He's not like that. He's crafty. He's so crafty. The devil is so crafty that the Bible says that he, uh, he, if he could appear as an angel of light, meaning what that means is that you would be even tempted to worship him. That's no play play. So weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world, but they demolish strongholds. We tear down the arguments, the presumption set up against the knowledge of God. It's in our mind. And we take captive every thought to make it in obedience to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience as soon as your obedience is complete. Isaiah 61 talks about uh, the releasing of captives and prisoners. And the second part of Isaiah, most people don't pay attention to, but it actually talks about for those that overcome um, or those that... uh, our deliverers and releasing those that come out of the prisons or come out of the shackles or out of the captivity, they become deliverers and they bring the spoils. And I think it's like double or some fold, fivefold uh, from what has been stolen. They bring it back. So it's not just the, the prisoners and the captives go free. It actually is the, the captives and the prisoners become deliverers and they redeem and they become the uh, the manifesting of uh, multitudes, if that makes sense. So powerful. So uh, this is your disobedience, and your obedience is complete. So when you do it, you punish every act of disobedience. You don't have to take what the devil does to you. You don't have to take it. You don't have to take it lying down. You should oppose him. What do you oppose him with? The word, the spirit. You should see him as he is. You should know who you are. Who are you? Who is God? All of our struggles are, most of our struggles relate to how I see him, how I think he sees me, and how I see the world around me. Our biggest problem is not even the devil, it's right between our ears. It's our thinking, our stinking thinking. All right, next slide. I'll do, I'll pick it up, I'll pick it up. I'm gonna pick it up. Go ahead. Trials, tribulations, and suffering. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's coming to test you. Again, it's that word, proving, the proving. And again, it's not God showing, I had to just see what was in your heart, Sherry. That's why I tested you. No, God already knows what's in your heart. He knows. You had to see. It's a revealing for you to see where your areas of work are, where your weak points are, what you need to work on, what's going on internally with yourself. He's revealing it to you. That's what the trials are for. It's for you to know, and then also you to see the faithfulness of God. So he shows us our need in the world. It says here, uh, John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Again, that's his peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Tribulation is really hard trials. It's seasons of long, heavy trials of adversity. Tribulations. But take heart, meaning take courage. That's what that means. Take courage. I have overcome the world. I take courage that he has overcome the world. Now, what does that mean? Well, if he's overcome the world, that means I've overcome the world, right? I have been made more than conquerors, right? What am I conquering? Something, right? Am I conquering myself, right? Am I I I conquering, really conquering the natural world? I'm not paying attention to the natural, right? I'm not living for the natural means. I'm actually conquering the demonic realms opposing me. I'm learning to walk in that kind of victory. 
Again, you can't do it in, your, in yourself. You have to do it with the thing. But every time you use the power of his spirit, it works. And every time you try to use the power of his spirit, when I, before I was an intercessor, or I learned to pray uh, fervently on things, um, the enemy would say, you don't know how to do that. In my voice, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know that Bible verse. You, does that really mean that? You can't pray like that. What do you mean you're going to call down the fire of God? Where's that chapter and verse? You know, things like this. And the enemy would make me want to make me self-conscious and diminish what I was praying because I was actually praying with authority. You know, you, you, can, even not, you can even feel scared when you pray. As long as you pray at, with, uh, with authority and you release the word, God hears it as if it's faith. He takes it, does that make sense? He takes it at face value. So you might be trembling inside when you're saying it, but it still does the same job because it's life. There's power in those words. So, but, and the enemy wants you to stop talking. All right, so these are some of the things. It says, it shows us we need Jesus. Second Corinthians, that here's how we know. We're, we're not competent. We're not equipped, able, body to do it ourselves, to claim anything that comes to us. Here's how we miss it. We start thinking we can do it. I can do it. I got this. I got this. I got this. I don't need church. I don't need, you know, transparency. I don't need to go to Bible study. I don't need to go be involved. I don't need to do this. I just, I'm going to do my own thing. I, I, I got Jesus. I, I just going to be separate. I, I, I like to isolate. I don't, I don't have to be in the church. I don't like church, Babel. You know, church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what I say? There's room for one more. <laughs> Who's heard that before? That's like old school. Okay. Uh, all righty. So, you, okay. That's so old school, so competent. John 15, if you remain in me, shows us our need. We have to remain, abide. This word remain means abide, sit, dwell. Uh, you'll bear much fruit. Again, that fruit of the spirit right there, fruit of the spirit. Apart from me, you can't do nothing. Doesn't, it doesn't say some things. It doesn't say what you're capable of. You can do what you're capable. It says nothing. We are to be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. We were created for that. Apart from that, it's a counterfeit. It's a distortion of our original design. You will never vibe, hum, resonate in your fullness of capacity until you vibe, resonate, dwell in the presence of the Holy Spirit. In synchronicity with you, you can't have my relationship, you have to have yours. You have to develop your language. I can't speak for Seb as the Holy Spirit. Seb has to hear the Holy Spirit. I can't speak for Jeremiah. Jeremiah's communication, we might speak the same thing to Lugo, but how he speaks it and how I speak it are completely different in different dialects. I have to know the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I have to mind that. I can know of Bill Clinton, but he don't know me, right? But if I know him intimately, that's different. And I need to know him intimately relationship it's always 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 and religion is always trying to put external measures from something that is internal and of the heart you get that always religion always wants to measure maturity um, fullness by the external and god is always measuring it by the heart so it's always heart produces faithfulness commit to faithful faithful it's um, loyal trustworthy means second timothy you therefore my child be strong in the grace be strong in the grace not be strong in judgment not be strong in judgment be strong in the grace 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 is unmerited favor not getting what you deserve mercy is getting less than you deserve grace is not getting what you deserve 
you deserve to go to hell, because so do I. <laughs> I don't get it, right? That's grace. So be strong in the grace that is in Christ. You need grace to walk this life. You just do. That's just a fact, Jack. You need, you need grace. You need the God of mercy and the God of comfort to walk in this life. Join me in suffering like a good soldier that we enlisted. We're seeing God's purpose. We're seeing God's way the way it's supposed to be. We're in sync with him. We, we, we don't get moved on everything. We're, we're tunneled visioned with him. A soldier refrains from entangling himself in civilian affairs, the cares that don't matter in this life. You don't get to take that house. I got a house. I'm so thrilled to have it. Now it's always a mess. It's always a lot of work. Something's always breaking. I just got painted two years ago, and now there's stains all on the door jams. You know, it's got to get painted again, and I haven't even finished the other stuff. This stuff passes away. What, what measures is the things that you do for the kingdom. You never regret what you do for the kingdom unless you listen to the lie of an enemy, that you wasted it, like the alabaster jar. If you don't listen to the enemy that was wasted, you'll never regret what you deposit for kingdom purpose. So after you've uh, suffered a little while, so okay, so here we are. Be strong in the grace, join in the suffering, civilian affairs in order to please the one who enlisted them. Uh, there's a word in the Bible called bond servant. That means that's a servant who has chosen to be servant. They've been set free, but they choose to be servant. That's what we are. We're as bond servants. So likewise, a competitor does not receive the crown. So know the cause, know the purpose. Produces endurance, establishes us. It produces endurance and establishes us. Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace again, who has called you, doesn't say the God of all judgment, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. These are all great words. I think I have them. Did I break them down? If I did, that would be great. Did you do that, Sherry? I don't think you did, but I did want to. Those are great words to study. Super great. Uh, they, they, they mean uh, very unique and um, articulate things. Restore, confirm, establish, strengthen, establish you. More than that, Romans says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Here again is that joy bubble back in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Joy comes in the morning, knowing that suffering produces endurance. I do have the meaning for one of these. Let's see here. So I said to you that trials is a burning, can be a sifting to prove, an examining, an examination, um, a test of what is genuine, can be in the courts. Um, it also ab abide, the word abide means to not recede or flee. Like you don't take off, you, you stay. Good, bad, and ugly, Lord, it's me and you. I abide in you. Okay, that's ugly. <laughs> okay, that's ugly too. Ooh, I don't like that about myself. Wow, that was really, whoa, that's a sharp one you just showed me. I abide. I stay put because I know he loves me and he's exposing things to refine me. The refiner's fire. There's three ways for purification. Three ways. Gold. Uh, th threshing of wheat. And the uh, pressing of grapes. All of them are under pressure. All of them. Intense pressure. Pruning of branches, we talked about John 15. We're going to read in a second. There's two ways that I can remember if there's actually three. One way is uh, for pruning is that the branch is too thick of itself, and it can't get any light, so they cut it back. I am the vine, you are the branches. And I prune all the branches that I want to bring forth more fruit. 
So when they prune it, it's they cut it back because light can't get to it and it's growing, it's too much of itself. So they cut it back. The other thing that they prune is that branches that are growing in on itself. It can look like a healthy one, it can be strong and hardy, but if it's growing, it's turned in on itself, they hack it. Interesting. And the other one, I don't know why. So you just have to look that up. But all right, my husband got that out of one of these like, you know, gardening books that he never used, but he did read it aloud to me. All right, and I liked it because I like him and you know, that's what you gotta do. So you do it because it's right. Some things you just gotta do, listen, in the kingdom, some things you just have to do it. It's not because you want to. You know, we, 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 we beat our body into submission, our flesh. We just do what's right because it's right. You know, you can either be rewarded for righteousness sake or you're gonna be rewarded for sin. Sin has consequence, why sin? Why sin? You're gonna get a re, you're gonna get a consequent you're gonna get a re, result from something. So why 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 do sin when if you do the sacrifice of righteousness you get a reward? Better to do what is right for the reward than to do what is sin, because there's a consequence. What's the point? I don't know if I shared this. Three fourths of the promises of God are predicated on obedience. One fourth are for the whosoever's. That's so that we all just don't you know blow up like I was telling you. That's because he's merciful, he's loving, and he's a compassionate God. So produces endurance and it establishes us. So we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Um, it says here, God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians, grace and peace. This is again, we remember, it shows me that I'm not alone in the trials. God is with us. He's carrying us. He's walking along. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. He cares. We see that God cares and that God is there, and we also see God's faithfulness. He shows up. He's in the fiery furnace. He's in the difficulty. He's in the adversity. He's in the situation, the unexpected thing. He's in the, in, in the, in the, in the, the concerns. It's in the, he's in the travail of our hearts, the losses, the hardships, the unspoken groanings. He's there. By doing this, he shows that we are not alone. And it says here that he's the father of compassion. He's blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. The word comfort means, it's here's parakletos, which is like parakletos. And it's to, uh, it means again, it's to, um, to give advice to exhorting or enacting or innating. Innating, meaning making it happen. Wow, the God of all comfort. So that's who he is. He's comforting us in our troubles so that we can comfort those who are in any trouble with the comforts we ourselves have received from God. For just as the suffering of Christ overflows to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which accomplishes in you patient endurance of the same sufferings. So endurance, again, hypomeno is the word for perseverance. Endurance, I don't know if I have endurance. I don't think I did. I wanted to give you that one. But hypomeno, yeah. So, so, so you also share in our comfort. So again, it's comfort. He's with us. He didn't, he's not bringing it. It may be allowed because of a fallen world, but he is with us and he will bring us through. He will deliver us. 
So Philippians says, if there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, this is what it is, any encouragement. If it's not any judgment belonging to Christ, if there's any encouragement belonging to Christ, he's talking to us in Christ. Any comfort from his love, again, from his love, not from his rules, not from his law, but from his love. We're led by love, we're ruled by love. Any fellowship together, this is again, fellowship. The word fellowship means two ships sailing together to get somewhere. And uh, if you're five degrees off in, in the shipping thing, I never knew this, but if you're going to another continent, they would have these special little things back in the many, many times ago. Um, and they would have this meter. And if you were five degrees off fellowship, fellowships would go like the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria in America from your class, school class. And so they would sail together so that they all got to their destination point. And so they would call it fellowships that would sail together so they would hit the mark and not miss it. And the missing of the mark is actually a nautical term, which means to be slightly off and to miss it. But they, the fellowship, so any fellowship together, so we're sailing, we're, we're harmonizing together in the spirit. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? This is again, the heart of the Lord. They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly, loving each other, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish, don't impress, be humble, thinking of yourself. Interesting, again, you see all this stuff even from that opening that I said about humility and pride and ego. Don't look only for your own interests, but take interest in others. All right, next slide. Difficulties of purpose, how do we handle them? Count it all joy. <clears throat> James, fabulous book, if you really want something to kind of sock it to you. Count it all joy. Again, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, all different kinds, that's what it means, for you will know that the testing, that proving of your faith produces steadfastness, meaning immovable, immovable. Let steadfastness have its full effect, the absolute effect that needs to come forth, that you can be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's what comes. Patience in hope comes forth. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. This is hypomeno right here. That's hypomeno. The word hope means, the word hope, 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 hope. Hmm. I think I left a paper somewhere. Oh, well, trials testing. Hope. There was a really beautiful, I love the beautiful word. All righty, I love words. All right, so hope. Be patient in tribulation, hypomeno, persevere through it, be constant in prayer. Peace, I've said these things to you that, you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What do we gain from perseverance? Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials because having stood the test, again, the refining, the burning, the passing through, the testing, that person will receive the crown of life that God has promised. You will also receive, it goes on to show here in Romans, the glory of our sufferings because we know this means just afflictions and difficulties. It's not like suffering, you know, suffering, suffering. Like I, I, I don't think this actually even means particularly physical suffering. This is just trials and pressings. Produces perseverance, hypomeno, character, which is like a faithfulness, a constancy in your life. Character, hope, and the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out. So here we are, the suffering. Oh, here we go. Persecution, affliction, tribulation, and pressure. That's what suffering means. Endurance, steadfastness, patience waiting for hypomeno cheerful endurance but cheerful not oh oh I'm, oh I'm going through it again oh 
you know, I'm going through it. I'm going through it. Pray for me. Cheerful endurance. Constancy. Character. Listen, if you don't have constancy, he can't commit anything to you. He doesn't reward the talented. He just doesn't. He rewards the faithful. Every time. He takes what other talents, parable of the talents, he takes what others have, more talented than you, and gives it to you because you're faithful. That's not fair. That's just favor. Obey me, and you'll produce. You will bear much fruit. Constancy, character, hope, expectation, trust, and confidence. That's what comes. That's what the word means. That hope, a hopeful expectation, a hopeful future, trust, confidence. Philippians, you know Timothy's proven worth, that same word up here for character, his proven worth, proven worth, proven by fire. Again, that is a child, his father served me, advancing the gospel. Romans, do not let your zeal subside. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, faithful, hopeful, expectation, trust, and confidence. Be joyful in your expectation, your trust, and your confidence, and patient in your affliction. Patient in your affliction, in your trial. You're proving your trial, you're being tried, you're proving of your character. Be faithful in that. Again, trial is burning, sifting, examining, abiding. Be faithful. He will see you through. Tried as, as gold and silver, right? The pureness of things, the things that you weren't supposed to have there anyway, get rid of. It's gone. You needed that gone. Your false sense of self, your false strengths, your false identities, you know, views, mindsets, etc. blah, blah, blah. You need the testing. That's what proves it. It shows what's there. It shows what's substance. That's why the word, it says, the Bible says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword, able to divide bone from marrow. And what that means is literally your frame, it's able to slice it so close, like that really good, you know, like Spanish ham, you know, and it's so thin, you can see through. It's like it's such, so cut, all the flesh comes straight off, and it's just bone. It's just core. That's what it's meaning. You need it. We need it. It proves something. It, it produces a good work in our lives. We want it. All right, stand to your feet. All right, wow, I went a little long. Did I go long? I did go long. Okay. All right, well, you guys get the juicy because you know what? The rest of all, the, all them all, you know, you know, you got the good stuff, you know. They can be here for Kevin next week, but ain't going to be the same. <laughs> yeah, just put your hands out. I want to just pray over you. Holy Spirit, we just ask you for fresh impartation of your presence. I, I pray, Father, for an awakening of your spirit, Lord. Whenever your word's taught, um, there's conviction and uh, like realignments that happen, uh, re recalibrations. And Lord, you want to recalibrate. You are the recalibrator. There's um, reconcilings happening in the heart. Lord, you give us the ministry of reconciliation, and you are the reconciler of our hearts. And so, Lord, we just give you place right now. Lord, I ask that you would touch each person in the room. You would touch them. They would feel your presence. They would know, uh, they would know that you're with them. If they're going through hardships, they, they would know it. I pray, Father, that there would be an awakening. Lord, that they would come into anointing. As they come out of flesh, and they move out of natural understanding, natural passions, natural desires, natural um, drives. 
or uh, pushes for their life, Lord, pursuits, Lord, that you would refine it. And God, I pray that you would anoint what they touch. Lord, that you would refine the desires and the passions of their heart, and you would begin to anoint and impart power in that purity. So, Lord, where there's a struggle to let go of things, where there's a struggle to release the old or to give up the things, you know, Lord, you know the, the reason that we don't want to give it up, that we desire it. You know we, there's things in our life, Lord, you know we really want and we don't want to give up. So, Lord, you say in your word that you will change the desires of our heart. And so I ask that for you to, for them too. And then I, I pray, Father, for the hardships, the endurance, Lord, that they would endure. They would hypomeno. They would move under pain. They would persevere knowing that you are going to make a way because you're the way maker. That they would know that you are the um, miracle worker, Lord. That you are the wonder-filled God, full of wonders. And what is a wonder? It's just what is that? It's the things that astound us that it could happen by no other means but God. And so, Lord, there's people that need an empowering of, of fruitfulness even. And so, Lord, I pray that they would see that the, the reconciling of the spiritual always supersedes the natural. And when they reconcile their hearts to you, not in perfection, but in desire, in will, in passion, that they would know that you are with them and they're aligned with you they would see their alignment with you, that they wear your robe and your ring and they have the signet and so they have authority. I pray even authority would come forth, Lord, in this room. Uh, they would understand the authority and the realm of dominion, Father, for those that are sons and daughters and, and our hearts are truly yours and are yielded to the best of their ability, not with perfection, but again, it, it's, it's true heart, it's motive. It's desire and zeal. The zeal of your house consumes them. So I pray, Father, for anointing and uh, uh, to come upon them and dominion and authority in the areas where there's been a struggle for gaining of dominion. So, Lord, I just see that where there's been ground that hasn't been able to be taken. Lord, you would give dominion and you would give authority in those areas, Lord. You would give dominion and greater authority. Anointing would come anointing would come from as they pass through the refining fire lord you say if the trial is a burning lord then there means how we come through the fire we become burning ones and so i pray father for a holy burning in your people i pray for the strength of the uh, power of the holy spirit to rise up to turn away from what they need to but also to walk in step with you lord where they can't be in sync with you lord where they're out of step help that lord balance their step bring their gait into step with you lord bring the eyes of their understanding into focus lord let them see as you see let them see heaven's vision let them hear as you hear if there's sin that blocks their ears or their eyes from seeing lord that that be removed give them strength to overcome let them be filled i pray father for a fresh and filling of the spirit lord the vessels that are yours this treasure in earthen vessels lord I pray that you would pour freely into your people and you would transform with renewal, Father, out with the old and filled up so much that the old is gone and the water becomes clear and pure. Do that, Lord, like only you can. Not by the law, not by the fulfillment of the law, but by the literally living and walking in the Spirit, Father. We give you praise for that today, Lord. We give you glory. We love you, God. We thank you for the teaching of your word and for the rhema word that's going to change us for the days to come from it, Lord. 
Make it alive and living. Let it dance within our life, Lord. Let it move with rhythm and motion and movement in us, Lord. Living. Make us living epistles, Lord. Make us living epistles, Father. We thank you for this, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can tell Kevin that you're going to